0: Thanks very much, Marybeth. Just want to warn you, this uh, could be either X or R-rated, so <laughs> any little children, please leave now. Uh, first, I really would like to thank my qualifiers, my father, who was an alcoholic, and my wife, who also is an alcoholic, because without them, I would not be here right now, and I would not have been able to make the spectacular journey that Al-Anon has offered me. I grew up in an alcoholic home, and uh was kind of an optimistic child. Nothing seemed to bother me. Um, I blocked everything out, basically, and uh, my father drank every day. And by the time I was 13, we were divorced. Uh, I went to camp. One day I came home and my mother informed me that we had moved and uh, all my childhood had been basically blacked out and a new childhood had begun. I went through the rest of my childhood trying to fix everything, trying to figure out how I could put my mother and my father back together again. Of course this was never going to happen. Both of them had remarried and uh, I was quite disillusioned my mother basically was a very uh, hard-working woman uh, quite an amazing woman actually and uh, although she didn't work prior to their divorce uh, she went to work afterwards and uh, managed to raise uh, the two sons but um, having grown up in an alcoholic home herself she had all the isms as well. She decided my brother was not intelligent and therefore it was not important for him to have any kind of education and uh, basically always told him that he was stupid. Uh, I was very bright, so I was the one that was going to go to college and she decided early on, in fact, that uh, I was going to be not only a doctor but I was going to be a brain surgeon, and this is as a child. And I guess I must have got to like it because that's what I ended up going into, and I ended up eventually uh, becoming a neurosurgeon. But in any event, my father died of his disease at an early age, and I had a lot of guilt about that. A part of that guilt was about uh, six weeks before he died, we had been living in Buffalo, New York. I was uh, just about finishing my residency, and he called and said, uh, you know, Roy, I've got to stop drinking. He'd been in and out of AA. 20 times, um, more out than in. But, uh, and he said, uh, I, I need a place, uh, to come to. And could I come to your house? And my first thought was yes. And, and my wife said, you know, we have, you know, three children and one on the way. Are you crazy? I mean, are we going to let an active alcoholic in the house. There's no way. And I thought about it and I said, you're right. And I said, dad, uh, sorry, but you know, I can't, can't do that. And uh, he died later. And then I went through a lot of guilt thinking that, you know, gee, maybe if I had taken him in, maybe I could have saved him. Um, So uh, I grew up with a a lot of defects. In fact, if you look at the books that we read daily, at the index, um, they're all there. Just you name it, I had it. I was a control freak Uh, resentment, sarcasm, anger, denial, you name it, I mean, I could have written a book. Uh, Fortunately, I met a uh, woman when I was in college who I started to date, and uh, after somewhat of a stormy uh, beginning, we ended up getting married when I was in medical school. And uh, that woman has been absolutely wonderful uh, for me. At the time, I didn't realize that uh, she was an alcoholic. But um, early on, uh, she would drink, and I would drink too, and a bottle of wine at lunch or dinner kind of thing, and I never thought much about it. The only problem is I could stop, and she couldn't. But I never realized that she was an alcoholic, even when it was clear to pretty much everybody else around me. Uh, I was always an optimist, and uh, for me, the uh, cup was never half full. The cup was always overflowing. Our marriage, though it started out great, uh, alcoholism became a real problem in it, though I didn't realize what the problem was the marriage became progressively more and more a disaster. As a matter of fact, they made a movie about it. It's called uh, War of the Roses. Uh, We basically, after a period of time, fought every day. I mean, all the time. It was literally an unbelievable marriage. If you saw that movie, that was pretty much what we went through. Uh, I didn't realize why this was happening or what was happening. I couldn't take a car ride for fifteen or twenty minutes without having a fight. Um, though I don't know why, but we, but well, we stuck it out, and we've been married. Uh, this is beginning our fortieth year. It became so bad that our children would, when they would want to come visit for a weekend, they would say, "You know, Mom and Dad, you think just for one weekend I could come with a friend, and you guys couldn't." cool it and not fight, it would never happen. It was a question of who could shout louder, who was right, who had the last word. This is the way our, our day went. It, and in fact, at one time, my kids would, would even say to us, you know, Mom and Dad, if you guys got divorced, it, it'd be okay. We'd understand. <laughs> uh, then... In uh, 92, we, I practiced most of my uh, career in Buffalo, New York, a cold place. But in 92, we bought a house in uh, Sanibel Island in Florida. And it's a really beautiful place if any, if you're, any of you have ever been there. But uh, it was meant to be a vacation house, and it was meant to be a house that we would eventually retire in. Uh, God had other plans for me because two years later, indeed, I did retire but during those first two years, uh, I'd say maybe one week a month or one week every five or six weeks, <clears throat> my wife would go down for the week with a friend of hers, a good friend, Mary, who's passed away, um, and I would come down maybe for a weekend. They basically would have a, a drunken uh, party by themselves for that time, and uh, I realized early on that uh, Mary had a drinking problem, but not realizing that uh, my spouse had one as well. In fact, I even said to her, you know, Barbara, I think uh, Mary has got a drinking problem. <laughs> but um, in later years, my own spouse's drinking became even more serious, and I, I just couldn't recognize it. It would be a situation where 6.30, 7, 8 o'clock at night, Every night, she would be going to bed, and that would be uh, her pattern. When she would slur her words, I didn't recognize it, and I would ask her, gee, Barbara, you, you look a little like you've been drinking. And she would tell me that she wasn't, and, and I believed it. This went on for a long time. One day, I went up to the bedroom to go to sleep myself, and there was a glass of, a tall glass of what I thought was iced tea, sitting next to her side of the bed, and I said, well, well, I don't have to go downstairs to get my iced tea. I took a sip out of it, and it was pure booze, the entire thing. And at that moment, a light went off. I knew we were in trouble. I went downstairs, and it was fairly early, and called each of my four children, and I said, "Uh, you know, uh, mom has got a drinking problem and each of them said in turn basically no shit Dick Tracy (laughs) I said well how did you know I mean I I didn't really see this he said dad you can't call after 6 o'clock in the evening and expect a conversation on the other end I mean are you you blind and yes I was blind I could not see the problem Uh, denial for me began early on, even as a kid. I mean, I grew up, my father drove a cab, and uh, we were poor. Uh, I didn't think we were poor. I thought we were pretty well off. I was very happy, and no matter what bad thing would happen, I would always make it into a good thing. So I was really good at denial, even early on. I can't even blame uh, anybody for it. It's just something that that happened. Whether my father's alcoholism uh, helped in that regard, I don't know. But Denial, I was I was a master at it. Um in fact, uh, you know, we in Sanibel we bought a house on the River Denial. So but um in any event, after that incident, uh my children got involved and uh they're all grown and we had an intervention in New York City. We were all going there for Thanksgiving a few years ago and At that intervention, which was run by my daughter, who was a uh, a master in psychology, and she, I guess, must have read the books or whatever, but she ran a beautiful intervention. I thought at the time that this is not going to work, that my wife is going to tell each and every one of us to go to hell. Uh, But she listened very patiently, and indeed, that was not what she said. She said, You're right, I have a problem and uh, she accepted it and uh, my daughter who was a physician had arranged for her to go to Hazelton West Palm Beach uh, the next day she was to fly directly there and uh, though she uh, said yeah, I can't go right away and so forth she did when she she went to a 28-day program and when she came out of that program It was uh, quite amazing. She just uh, fell into AA uh, like she was born into it. I mean, they said 90 meetings in 90 days. She still pretty much does 90 meetings in 90 days. She's extremely active in AA. And for me, I realized very early on, either get on the train or get left at the station. I was told at that Hazleton family session one weekend to uh, join Al-Anon show you how much I knew, and this is the truth, I never even heard of Al-Anon. That's how anonymous you guys are. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I thought it was some kind of a drug thing that, uh, for rehabilitation of addicts. And um, my thought was, well, if it's going to help my wife, I'll do it. So I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, I remember it, on a December 18th, on a Tuesday, and I walked in, and um, lo and behold, there you are. First thing that struck me about my meeting, it was very small, it was on Sanibel. It was maybe uh, eight or ten people. I was the only man there. That's the first thing that struck me. Second thing that struck me was that on the table they had all of these posters. that said things like, think one day at a time let go and let God and so forth and my God these guys believe in bumper stickers <laughs> but I don't know what it was but they told me to keep coming back and nobody told me anything about how to take care of my wife and uh I didn't come back for me in the beginning I came back figuring I just gotta give them a chance they're gonna tell me they know how to do it and um, took me a long time to figure out that she wasn't the problem; I was the problem. In fact, at that intervention, while I sort of sat there smug, seeing my wife getting verbally beaten up, at the end they all turned on me and they said, "You know, Dad, you've got a problem." And I was like, "Moi? You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't drink. What's the problem?" I said, "Dad, you have a problem with anger." I said, what do you mean? <laughs> what do we mean? We can't go to a restaurant with you without you wanting to beat up the waiter or go to the airport and you want to kill the poor gal behind the desk because the flight is late or, or something. Uh, it, it's embarrassing, you know, the way you behave. Uh, I said, my thoughts weren't about me. I, my thoughts were, okay, that's what they think, that's okay. You need anger management. Again, if it'll help my wife, I'll do it. So I went to a a psychologist and paid him $100 a week for a a period of time. And after about uh, eight or ten sessions, he declared me sane and discharged me. I didn't feel any better, but I figured, that well, I did my obligation. In actuality, where anger management came was through you guys in Al-Anon. I realized that uh, I didn't have to win every argument. In fact, if I didn't take part, there wasn't an argument. I didn't have to be right all the time. I'd rather be happy than be right. From the day I walked into Al-Anon, one of the first miracles that happened to me was that Anger, for the most part, was removed. I was, prior to al an absolute maniac. Car, for me, was a weapon. Uh, road rage. Anybody gave me the finger. I was out to chase him down and beat him up or whatever. Absolutely insane. But this program has taught me that that's just not the way to behave that I have choices, and I don't have to behave that way. And basically, it's through this program, through sponsorship, through working the 12 steps, I found out that the old adage that you, you, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks is not correct. You can teach an old dog new tricks. But as a result of Al-Anon, one of the first things that also happened to me is I lost my job as ruler of the world. The miracles that this program has provided me have been so numerous, it's almost hard to list. But one of the first miracles that happened to me was regarding my marriage. The movie War of the Roses became love is a many splendid thing and that's true since from the day I walked through these doors till now I have I would say rarely have ever had a uh, fight with my spouse not saying we don't argue we do at times but it's if, if it's so they're infrequent and they're brief and um There's no question there have been changes in her, but the changes really have been in me. Simply just realizing that I don't have to win every argument. And again, if I don't take part, there is no argument. It takes two to argue. Such a simple concept. The other miracle that happened for me was my relationship with my children. They, I know they loved me before but they certainly didn't like me now they like me and that's quite a difference and just simple things that I learned number one through you people that they're not kids and they're not mine just giving them the ability and the dignity to be themselves to make their own decisions right or wrong to pass or fail right or wrong just as I insisted, And these simple things have made a tremendous difference. Prior to Al-Anon, I mean, my son would say, you know, Dad, I can't, I can't talk to you. What do you mean? Well, when I ask you a question, you give me a 20-minute dissertation, and you get upset if I don't do it your way. But this program, for me, has changed all that, and now I've got a tremendous relationship with my four children, and uh, I've got four grandchildren, and. Initially, we were interested. Three of my four live in the New York City area. We were going to buy a house in New York, and um, it takes a long time, I'll tell you. Even when you change, for your family to realize that you've changed, and you just got to kind of stick with it. Because initially, even though I've been in Alon for a while, um, when we said we were going to buy a house there, was they were like, uh, you know, please don't. <laughs> And, um, and then when we, they t- decided that we were going to do it anyway, they were kind of telling us where to buy and everything else. And we kind of patiently listened and did what we wanted to do and, and it just worked out fine. And, and now, uh, you know, their attitude initially was, uh, you know, don't think you could come here anytime you want, or don't think you could call whenever you want to. And now they, they each of them, they call every day. Like, they just don't, it's like, we like to tell them, give us a break. <laughs> but um, one of the main things, I, especially uh, that I learned in this program regarding my kids, was just a simple thing unsolicited advice is interference. And if they don't ask you, don't tell. And that's something I try very hard not to do. And sometimes, even when they ask, I found out they're not really asking for advice, they're asking for Some sort of an affirmation, or yes, uh, you're doing well, or something like that. I recall even uh, my daughter, uh, who is a uh, plastic surgeon, she told me about a year ago. She said, "You know, Dad, I'm thinking of buying a boat," and she lives in New York City. What do I think? I'm pretty big into boating. And I started telling her, "Well, uh, do you really want to know?" She said, "Yeah." I said, well, I think it might be a mistake in New York. It's a short season. And immediately, she started jumping down my throat. What do you know? Blah, 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 blah. She wasn't really asking for advice at all. She wanted me to tell her, Stacy, it's, that's great. She didn't buy a boat anyway, but she just wanted me to say that, you know, you're doing well and whatever you think, you know, that's really what she wanted. So I think you've got to be careful about, you know, whether they're really even asking for advice, even when they ask for advice. Well, another miracle for me was about resentments. I was a master, as I said. You look in that index, and I had them all. But resentments—I um, didn't really like people. Was one of the things um, I found out early on. If you didn't get too close to people, you didn't get hurt. So I kind of shut people off, and um, and that was a problem for me. One of my uh, my youngest son. Uh, who was a doctor and a lawyer who practices neither. Actually, he's an investment banker. But um, he said to me, you know, Dad, I'm just like you. I said, what do you mean? I don't like people. And I said, oh, boy, this is a problem. And, you know, I wonder where the little bastard could have learned a thing like that. So and that was not me, even at the time when he said it. I actually love people, and that's been a major change in me. Prior to that, when I had my resentments, I was a master at it as well. I always thought about how I could get even with anybody who I perceived as doing me wrong. I remember my old statement that one day I would take an umbrella and shove it you know where and then get someday I'd get to open it. That's the way I thought about things. But that has all changed, you know, through this program. One of the other things about the program that has always amazed me and has made me uh, a better person is keeping my eyes and my ears open for wisdom and looking for where the wisdom comes from. And it comes from so many sources. It comes from these rooms and and you people, but outside as well. It's on the television. It's, It's everywhere you go. And you just got to be have your senses aware for when it when it's there. I remember one time, uh, as a favor to a friend, I was invited to a uh, talk where I had to make a donation to hear an Air Force general uh, who was the only ace from the Vietnam War uh, talk. And at that particular meeting, he said something that that, uh, that affected me. And uh, basically, what he said was. The same thing that uh, you know, Dr. Laura said. said. Just do the right thing. You all know what the right thing is. And when you do the wrong thing, you all know that you're doing the wrong thing. And for me, that's what this program is all about. Basically doing the right thing all, all the time. Do I do the right thing all the time? No, I don't do the right thing all the time. But when I don't, I know I'm doing the wrong thing and whereas before I had no conscience I would do the wrong thing it's okay, screw you now I have a conscience when I do the wrong thing it affects me and I know I can do better next time another thing I had a friend one time come down to Sanibel who was an attorney and stay with us for a couple of days and uh, we, I went to a restaurant with him on Sanibel and I noticed that he was extremely kind to everyone, to the person who sat us down, to the waitress. I mean, more so than... It was so, so kind that it was noticeable. I said to him, you know, Mike, you're awfully kind to people. He said, well, yeah, I said, about a year ago, I decided that I would try to be kind to everybody that I meet, every stranger that I meet. I would try, how could I be, be as nice and as kind As I possibly could be. I thought, boy, what a unique concept. I'm going to try that too. These are the kind of things that you just got to keep your eyes and ears open for. Uh, One time at a meeting, there was a woman on Sanibel who was a visitor, brought in by a a very long term uh, Al Anon uh, lady, a good friend of mine, and her name was Rosie. And Rosie was well into her 80s, and she'd been over 40 years a member of uh, this esteemed organization. And everybody got to speak, and Rosie was wore she was a bit heavy and wore this uh, tent-like dress, and uh, not much makeup or anything, and just sat there. And uh, the woman before her spoke and talked about the problems she was having with uh, uh, her child's marriage and setting up the marriage, and all of the things and all the disharmony that was happening and uh, Rosie got to speak and mentioned that she had ten children that she had married off and uh, she said you know what I learned in uh, I don't know 43 or 45 years in al I learned to wear the beige dress and let them get married that's all she said and that's the kind of wisdom that you hear in these rooms and those, that's something that, that stuck with me basically let them do their own thing, you do your thing, and don't try to be, to overtake the situation. The other day, we were in New York, and uh, I had the fortune of babysitting for uh, my, young, my second youngest grandchild. Um, my uh, son and his wife went to St. Martin, and uh, my wife and I were watching uh, uh, Caroline We were walking in Battery Park, which is near the World Trade Center. It's a beautiful park. Uh, I was kind of tired, and Barbara wanted to exercise, so she was walking, so I decided to sit down on a park bench. And while I was sitting there, something happened that, for me, was a a bit of a miracle and somewhat of a wisdom. Somebody walked by, and they're speaking a foreign language. I'm not sure what it was. I I think it was Israeli, but I'm not sure. Um, and they wore a shirt, and on the shirt it said, "The unspoken word never harmed anyone." Wow, what a concept! It's just a question of keeping your eyes and your ears open. And as I sat there, I was kind of thinking, I, I've, uh, for many years, I've been a runner. I've run early on. I've run some marathons and stuff, but. Over the as a result of my running, I've developed some arthritis in my left knee, and uh, I've had to cut down a great deal on my running. Though I still run, I still have a problem with my knee, and I'm kind of thinking about how I couldn't straighten out my knee and how it was bothering me as I'm sitting on this bench, and, uh, and I'm thinking about you know my problem in my knee. And as I'm sitting there, this guy in a mobile wheelchair, we sort of. Wrote, comes right by in front of me smiles and keeps going and I think wow what am I talking about this guy wishes he had my knee so again you know the wisdom is really all around us it's just a question of making use of it one of the things also that I developed in this program which I didn't have was uh, humor and laughter Um, In fact, my wife, for many years, accused me of being a statue, of being a stone, of having no feelings. I had feelings, I just kept them inside. But um, she was absolutely right. On the flight down here, we were discussing things and, and sort of laughing about them, about things that we've done in the past, things about our excesses. I remember, for example, when the first cell phone came out, I had to have one. So I got this first cell phone, it was so big you couldn't even have it on your belt. It was, it was like <laughs> carrying this box around. I looked like uh, I was in the uh, army in the field, you know, one of these field phones, but I had this phone. And I remember my kid in the car one time, uh, my oldest one, who was probably at the time maybe 14 or something, she would just, Dad, can I hold the phone? Uh, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to make a call because it was pretty expensive to make a call at the time, just so I can show everybody that we've got a phone in the car. And we sort of laughed about this the kind of things I wouldn't laugh about. And I remember that we we talked about our first video camera, which was absolutely hysterical. You had to carry, I looked like a camera crew from uh, either Fox News or something. I mean, you had this big box and wires and this camera, which on your, you couldn't, Hold it except on your shoulder. This is our first video camera. We took a trip to Montreal with our four kids at the time, and the kids were embarrassed that I should be walking around with this thing. And they were like, I wanted to take a picture, but they were like running away, they don't know, you know, it's like, go away with that silly thing. And then you know, we laughed about that. And these are kind of things that I wouldn't we wouldn't have laughed about before. I mean it's really you know, thanks to these, to this program. One of the other things was satellite dish. We had probably the world's first satellite dish. I could tell you, NASA is bidding for our satellite dish. That's how you. I don't think it would fit in this room. It was huge. But uh, we you know we laughed about these things. But uh, even the laughter and the humor is really thanks to this program. Basically. The thing that I've learned in this program is it's an ongoing process. There's no graduation, you don't get a diploma, it's a race without a finish line and it just keeps getting better and better the longer you stay in it and the more you work it. Um, There are a lot of things that uh, for me in this program that were a problem. One of the problems was religion. I was brought up without religion I wasn't brought up, brought up as an atheist, but I had a, uh, you know, as I say, an alcoholic father who didn't, you know, we never went to a restaurant, never went to a movie, never went to uh, a sporting event or anything, we never did anything together. Um, and I had a, a mother who was a really free thinker, and said to me, do I want to go to religious school or, and after school or not, and I said, let's see, uh, religious school or play I think I'll take play this is like 10 years old it's real easy so um, I had no guidance in any any way Um, so this program for me when I came into it one of the things I was concerned about was uh, God God what am I going to do with God they're going to make me believe in God Anyway, um, I was fortunate enough to choose a sponsor who was a great sponsor. I looked for the wisest person that I thought in the program, a fellow that I knew before. But this particular fellow that I knew, actually, I didn't like him. At that time, I didn't like many people, so it wasn't really a problem. But I didn't particularly like him um, because he was uh, one of the senior people at Union Carbide when he retired and he was somewhat of a facilitator and I belonged to a, uh, some charity groups and things <clears throat> for uh, the theater and when this uh, board, which I'll tell you about in a second, would have a, their annual meeting, he would be the facilitator of the meeting. This board needed a facilitator because this board was like uh, a group of Roy's pre hour fight all the time. But in any event, um, this guy seemed to make this meeting work and didn't like him. Uh, I guess I was kind of jealous of him, but he was qu- quite wise, so I chose him. After about the first six months in Al Anon, and he was at uh, most of my meetings, uh, he put his arm around me and said, uh, Roy, yeah, I thought I was doing great, you know. He said, Roy, uh, I don't want to hear about Barbara anymore. I said, What do you mean? What's all you talking about? I want to hear about Roy. I was angry for about three weeks after that. I thought I was doing so great. I mean, I had Alan on my sounding board. I could say what I wanted to, and it wouldn't go anywhere. Then I realized, boy, is he right. It's not about Barbara. It's about Roy. And that's when I really started to work the program. Just to tell you something briefly about this board. This board had about 18 or 19 people on a theater board, and it was one of the only theaters in the United States that was in the black. We had a director who was absolutely brilliant and put on shows that were, you could, people on Broadway would want this guy to direct them. And um, he was an amazing guy, but the president of the board, for whatever reason, didn't like him. And none of these people on the board had, uh, they were a lay board, had no theater experience. And basically, uh, this board would argue all the time, and this board destroyed this theater. There was one person on the board, however, who was not only brilliant, but who was calm, who never argued, who always said the right thing, never interrupted, Never got involved, and just was always happy, smiling. And uh, it was kind of like, you know, you see uh, the commercial, I Want to Be Like Mike, like, or was Michael Jordan. Well, this guy's name is Al, and I was thinking, I want to be like Al. Just the kind of person that I said, boy, if I could be like that, would have that kind of demeanor, I'd get along with everybody. My children would love me, my spouse would love me, life would be grand. Then several years later, I went to a speaker's AA meeting, and who was the speaker? But Al. I couldn't believe it. I walked up to him and said hello, and he said hello to me. And um, when he spoke, he spoke that he had, first of all, had been in AA probably over 30 years. He had been an executive officer of a company, and uh, basically had uh, ended up uh, on the street as a bum. And his recovery was not something that happened overnight. It was something that took many years. He's now loved by everyone. And it wasn't something that just happened. It was something that he worked for through working these steps and working this program. So if I want to be like Al, i got to put in the same effort just like Al. Basically... My goal in life is to become the kind of person that my dog thinks I am. And that's really why I come to Al-Anon. And uh, for me, it has made a tremendous difference in my life. Um, I've never gone to a meeting that I didn't like. I've never gone to a meeting that I didn't feel better when I walked out than when I walked in. Uh, I'm an Al-Anon junkie. I'm afraid to go to a new meeting because I like them so much I end up I'll be going every day of the week um, but one of the readings I remember in one of the one of the daily readers was that uh, it's okay to miss a meeting if you've got other responsibilities or even if you just want to have fun. there's no must as we as we always say anon but um al has really become my life. It's become the spiritual foundation of my life. I found my higher power in my own way and in my own time. And the reason I did it was really very simple. My sponsor just said to me, you know, Roy, you talk about the miracles that have happened for you and things that have worked in this program. Give the whole program a try. Even if you don't even believe it, try the prayer and meditation. Try the whole thing. And just keep doing it. And eventually... I think I got it, but I'll just keep coming back. Thank you.